Peace be upon you. So one of the contentious topics among religious communities has to do with the death of Jesus. What really happened? If you consult most traditional Muslims, what they'll tell you is that Jesus, the real person, wasn't killed. Instead, someone else took his place and they crucified that individual and that Jesus is still living amongst us. And if you consult a Christian, they'll say, no, 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 Jesus was killed and crucified. He was the son of God and he died for the sins of all mankind. And three days later, he was resurrected. It's hard to say which one is more wacky, but God willing, in this episode, we're going to try to look at what really happened. So there's about four verses that talk about the death of Jesus. And let's start there. In Surah 3, verse 54 and 55, it reads, They plotted and schemed, but so did God, and God is the best schemer. Thus God said, O Jesus, I am terminating your life, raising you to me, and ridding you of the disbelievers. I will exalt those who follow you above those who disbelieve till the day of resurrection. Then to me is the ultimate destiny of all of you. Then I will judge among you regarding your disputes. And the other verse is in Surah 4, verse 157 and 158, where it reads, And for claiming that they killed the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, the messenger of God, in fact, they never killed him. They never crucified him. They were made to think that they did. All factions who are disputing in this matter are full of doubt concerning this issue. They possess no knowledge. They only conjecture. For certain, they never killed him. Instead, God raised him to him. God is almighty, most wise. So these verses are the ones that caused confusion because God is asserting that they never killed him. They were made to think that they crucified him. So how do we make sense of all this? So it's worth taking a step back. The first thing to realize is that God is the one who controls life and death. We see this in Surah 3 verse 156 where it reads, O you who believe, do not be like those who disbelieve instead of their kinsmen who traveled or mobilized for war. Had they stayed with us, they would have uh, not have died or gotten killed. God renders this a source of grief in their hearts. God controls life and death. God is seer of everything you do. In the previous verse, it says, had they not died in war and stayed home, they would have been crawling into their deathbeds. This lets us know that God is the one who controls life and death. It is impossible for anything or anyone else to take a life. God is the sole individual who determines when someone's life begins and when it ends. This decision is 100% up to God. And we see this in the debate where Abraham has with the king. In Surah 2 verse 258 says, Had you noted the one who argued with Abraham about his Lord, though God has given him kingship? Abraham said, My Lord grants life and death. He said, I grant life and death. Abraham said, God brings the sun from the east. Can you bring it from the west? The disbeliever was stumped. God does not guide the wicked. This king, this individual, he thought that he grants life and death. He thought that he can decide who lives and who dies. And he was naive to the fact. It was hard for him to grasp that God is the one who controls life and death. But when Abraham stumped him by saying, God brings the sun from the east. Can you bring it from the west? He realized his power was limited. But in the following verse, God clarifies that he is the only one who controls life and death. We see this in the example in Surah 2 verse 259 says, Consider the one who passed by a ghost town and wonder how can God revive this after it had died? God then put him to death for a hundred years, then resurrected him. He said, how long have you stayed here? He said, I've been here a day or part of a day. He said, no, you have been here a hundred years. 
Let, look, yet look at your food and drink. They did not spoil. Look at your donkey. We thus render you a lesson for the people. Note now how we construct the bones, then cover them with flesh. When he realized what had happened, he said, Now I know that God is omnipotent. God put this individual to death, but resurrected him, made him feel that it was only part of a day, despite the fact that it was a hundred years. If a human being saw this, they would think that this individual was dead. But God is the one who controls life and death. And just as simply as God can put him in a state of death, a coma, he can simply revive him as if he never died. This is the power of God. This is something that a human being or nothing possesses. Only God possesses this power. Human beings, we can try to kill somebody, but if it's not in accordance with God's will, that individual will not die. We see another example in Surah 2, verse 73, in regards to the heifer. So they killed an individual, and they needed to revive that individual in order to shed light on what happened. And we see in 273, it says, we said, strike the victim with part of the heifer. That is when God brought the victim back to life and showed you his signs that you may understand. We see here that God, again, is the only individual who controls life and death. God is the one who can terminate a life, and he's the one who can resurrect a life. This decision is 100% up to God. We see another example in the sleepers of the cave. In Surah 18, the entire story about their existence, how God sealed their ears for 300 years, increased by nine, and then resurrected them so they could count the, the duration of their stay. And they did had no idea. They thought they were there for part of a day. They didn't, didn't realize that they were there for 300 years. And what's interesting is in 1825, it says they stayed in their cave 300 years, increased by nine. And 300 uh, solar years is equivalent to 309 lunar years. So God put these individuals to a state that appeared like death in our eyes, but they were not dead. Their souls were still waiting to be put back into their bodies so it's resurrected. In Surah 18, verse 18, it says, You would have think that they were awake when they are in fact asleep. We turned them on the right side and left side while their dog stretched his arms in their midst. Had you looked at them, you would have fled from them, stricken with terror. So the state that these individuals in were something similar to death, but they were alive. And they were kept alive because God is the one who keeps the individuals alive. God is the one who grants life and death. And in another verse, God describes sleeping as a form of death. In Surah 6, verse 60, it reads, He is the one who puts you to death during the night and knows even the smallest of your actions during the day. He resurrects you every morning until your lifespan is fulfilled. Then to him is your ultimate return. He will then inform you of everything you had done. So God is distinguishing between this kind of death where someone is put into a sleep-like state and the death where your soul is differentiated from your body. And you won't be returned until the day of resurrection. We see this in the following verse. In Surah 6, verse 61, it says, He is supreme over his creatures. He appoints guards to protect you. When the appointed time of death comes to any one of you, our messengers put him to death without delay. Then everyone is returned to God, the rightful Lord and Master. Absolutely, he is the ultimate judge. He is the most accurate reckoner. And we see the same example in Surah 23, verse 99 through 100, where it reads, When death comes to one of them, he says, My Lord, send me back. I will then work righteousness in everything I left. Not true. This is a false claim that he makes. A barrier will separate his soul from this world until resurrection. So the death where the soul is taken 
out of this dimension, out of this world, and preserved until the day of resurrection is the death that we're concerned about. These other forms of death that we see, that we experience with our eyes, uh, that being of sleep or seeing someone's life being taken away, these aren't the real death until God decides to take their soul and preserve it until the day of judgment. Because we see in falling verses that everyone will die. There's nothing that will last forever. In 55.26, it says, Everyone on earth perishes, only the presence of your Lord lasts, possessor of majesty and honor. We also see examples of messengers and prophets who died. And they're described in the Quran. In Surah 3, verse 144, it says, Muhammad was no more than a messenger like the messengers before him. Should he die or get killed, would you turn back on your heels? Anyone who turns back on his heels does not hurt God in the least. God rewards those who are appreciative. And in 3930, it says, you, in reference to Muhammad, will surely die, just like they will die. We see the example of Solomon in 3414, says, when the appointed time for his death came, they had no clue that he had died. It was not until one of the animals tried to eat his staff and he fell down that the jinns realized that he was dead. They thus realized if they really knew the unseen, they would have stopped working so hard as soon as he died. And we see one other example with Jacob on his deathbed. In Surah 2 verse 133, it says, Had you witnessed Jacob on his deathbed, he said to his children, What will you worship after I die? They said, We will worship your God, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Ishmael, and Isaac, the one God to whom we are submitters. So we see every human being is going to have to face death. This is a fact of life. But is the death of a believer and a disbeliever the same? In Surah 45, verse 21, it reads, Do those who work evil expect that we'll treat them in the same manner as those who believe and lead a righteous life? Can their life and their death be the same? Wrong indeed is their judgment. So the life and the death of the believer versus the disbeliever is going to be fundamentally different. And we get some examples of this. In Surah 40, verse 46, we read about the uh, Pharaoh's people. It says, The hell will be shown to them day and night, and on the day of resurrection, admit Pharaoh's people into the worst retribution. So these people who are put to death in a state of wickedness, they will have to experience, see hell day and night until the day of resurrection. In Surah 8, verse 50, we read about the moment of death for the disbelievers. It says, if you could only see those who disbelieve, when the angels put them to death, they will beat them on their faces and their rear ends, taste the retribution of hell. So how does this compare to the death of a believer, a righteous individual? In Surah 3, verse 169, it says, do not think that those who are killed in the cause of God are dead. They are alive at their Lord, enjoying His provisions. In Surah 2, verse 154, it says, uh, Do not say of those who are killed in the cause of God, they are dead. They are alive at their Lord, but you do not perceive. God is telling us that the believers do not die. They're simply taken to paradise. And we see this in the following verses. In 1632, it says, The angels terminate their lives in a state of righteousness, saying, Peace be upon you. Enter paradise as a reward for your works. Believers who die in a state of righteousness, they're simply invited to the paradise. They're invited to live the remainder of their time in paradise until the day of resurrection. In Surah 36, verse 26, we read about the believer, and it says, He was told, enter paradise. He said, oh, I wish my people knew that my Lord has forgiven me and made me honorable. 
these events take place before the day of resurrection, meaning that the believers are enjoying God's provisions in paradise until that day. They are not put to the death that the disbelievers experience. In 4451, through 56, it reads, The righteous will be in secure position, enjoying gardens and springs, wearing velvet and satin close to each other. We grant them wonderful spouses. They enjoy in it all kinds of fruits in perfect peace. They do not taste death therein beyond the first death, and he has spared them the retribution of hell. We were all dead before we came into this world, and God gave us life. But those who waste this life and commit sin and transgression, they will experience the second death. But this is not something that the believer, someone who spends their life aiming towards righteousness, will have to experience. In 824 it reads, O you who believe you shall respond to God and to the messenger when he invites you to what gives you life. You should know that God is closer to you than your heart and that before him you will be summoned. So let's take another look at the example of Jesus and his death. In Surah 3, verse 54, it says, They plotted and schemed, but so did God, and God is the best schemer. These people thought that they were killing Jesus, this empty vessel, this body, but God took Jesus' soul to paradise. It continues in verse 55, says, Thus God said, O Jesus, I am terminating your life, raising you to me and ridding you of the disbelievers. So God is telling us that he's terminating his life. His life is over when he's communicating with him. I will exalt those who follow you above those who disbelieve till the day of resurrection. Then to me is the ultimate destiny of all of you. Then I will judge among you regarding your disputes. These people, they tortured and they crucified an empty vessel because the soul of Jesus was taken up to God. He did not have to experience the pain, the torture, the hardship that this body went through, this empty body that was there for to demonstrate the wickedness of those people. Now let's read Surah 4, verse 157 and 158. It says, And for claiming that they killed the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, the messenger of God, in fact, they never killed him. They never crucified him. They were made to think that they did. This is no different than the king debating with Abraham saying, I control life and death. God is the one who controls life and death. God is the one who takes the soul out of the body. This is nothing that any human being or any other individual has the ability, the power to be able to achieve. It continues, all factions who are disputing in this matter are full of doubt concerning this issue. They possess no knowledge. They only conjecture. For certain, they never killed him. Instead, God raised him to him. God is almighty, most wise. This is no different when God is telling us about the martyrs, that we should not say they are dead. They are alive at their Lord, enjoying His provisions. It's blasphemous to say that these individuals, these righteous individuals are dead because they will never experience the second death. Now what's interesting in the following verse in Surah 4 verse 159, it says, Everyone among the people of the scripture was required to believe in Him before His death. On the day of resurrection, He will be witness against them. God is telling us, again, not only did he terminate Jesus' life at that moment, but it's telling us that before his death, meaning he died, his body died. His body went to dust. But what really counted, what really mattered, his soul was taken up to paradise. No different than going on a trip to Hawaii. The real him, the real individual, the soul, 
the thing that we are striving to be able to maintain, to grow, and to develop. This is what God preserved. And this is something no human being can take away, can obstruct. Now, I want to look at the verses in the Bible regarding this matter. We see it consistently throughout the Bible. That only the disbelievers, those who spend their life committing sin, will experience death. In John 6.58, it reads, This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. In John 11, it reads, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus is confirming this concept that the righteous will not die. And what's interesting is you can read this in the interpretation that you have to believe him as in Jesus or in his words. Because we read in the Quran in Surah 4 verse 159, it says everyone among the people the scripture was required to believe in him before his death. And in uh, Surah 3 verse 55, it says, I will exalt those who follow you above those who disbelieve till the day of resurrection. This was a requirement for those individuals that they had to believe in his word. We read in John 8, then he said to them again, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself. Will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. What they did not understand is what Jesus was saying is that because they were committing sin, they would not be admitted into paradise. But this is where he was destined to go. That when they tried to kill this body of his, it was irrelevant because his soul was taken to paradise. In Romans 6.23, it says, The wages of sin is death. Now I want to read some from the Old Testament. In Psalms 118, it reads, The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I will not die but live and tell the works of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. God is the one who saves the believers. He admits them to paradise. They never taste the second death. In Proverbs 15, verse 10, it reads, Grievous punishment is for him who forsakes the way. He who hates reproof will die. This is the promise in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and in the Quran, that those who commit sin, who do not reform, who do not draw closer to God, they will experience the second death. But those of us who, God willing, preserve our soul and maintain righteousness and do the things that please God, we will not experience the second death. We will simply be admitted into paradise when we die in this world. Now, one of the chapters in the Old Testament that sums up this entire argument, both in the sake of what happened to Jesus when he was crucified and also um, can someone die for the sins of someone else, is all encompassed in the book of Ezekiel chapter 18. And I'm going to read this, and it's kind of lengthy, but it it drives home so many of these points. God willing, I'm going to start from verse 4, and this is God speaking to the people. It reads, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins will die. 
But if a man is righteous and practices justice and righteousness and does not eat at the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel or defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman during her menstrual period, if a man does not oppress anyone but restores to the debtor his pledge, he does not commit robbery but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing and he does not commit usury, if he keeps his hand from iniquity and executes true justice between man and man, if he walks in my statutes and my ordinances so as to deal faithfully, he is righteous and will surely live, declares the Lord God. So God is telling us, those who maintain his word, who maintain his, uh, the covenant that we made with God to maintain righteousness, to do the things that please him, that these individuals, these souls will live. But the people who commit sin and transgression and never repent and reform, these individuals will die. Now, what makes Ezekiel 18 so spot on to this controversy around the death of Jesus? What really happened is that it addresses both the arguments from mainstream Muslims and that of the Christians. Because the mainstream Muslims, they believe that Jesus he wasn't killed that uh, someone who resembled him took his place. And they missed the fact that if you're righteous, you never experience the second death. Now, the Christians make another claim. They say, no, Jesus died for the sins of the human being. And this chapter, it's telling us repeatedly that we are each responsible for our own actions. That the father cannot be responsible for the actions of the son and the son cannot be responsible for the actions of the father. This chapter addresses all these points. And it continues in verse 10. It says, Then he may have a violent son who sheds blood and who does any of these things to a brother. That is, he even eats at the mountain shrines, defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and the needy, commits robbery, does not restore a pledge, but lifts up his eyes to the idols and commits abomination and commits usury. Will he live? He will not live. He has committed all these abominations. He will surely be put to death. His blood will be on his own head. Now behold, he has a son who has observed all his father's sins, which he committed. And observing does not do likewise. He does not eat at the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel or defile his neighbor's wife or oppress anyone or retain a pledge or commit robbery. But he gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing. He keeps his hand from the poor, does not commit usury, but executes my ordinances and walks in my statues. He will not die for his father's iniquity. He will surely live. As for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what was not good among his people, behold, he will die for his iniquity. This is confirming to us that we are each responsible for our own sins. And it continues in verse 19. It says, Yet you say, Why should the son not bear the punishment for his father's iniquity? When the son has practiced justice and righteousness and has observed all my statutes and done them, he shall surely live. The person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. But if the wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed and observes all my statutes and practices justice and righteousness, he shall surely live, he shall not die. 
This is reaffirming that we are each responsible for our own sins. We cannot bear the sins of another individual. Those who maintain God's commandments will continue to live. They will not experience death. But those who refuse to obtain, to uphold the commandments, to uphold the statues of God, to do the things that please God, they will surely die the second death. This is also confirmed in the Quran. In 35.18 it reads, No soul can carry the sins of another soul. If a soul that is loaded with sins implores another to bear part of its load, no other soul can carry any part of it, even if they were related. This is affirming to us that we are each responsible for our own sins. Not Jesus, not Muhammad, not our mother, not our father. Anyone can bear any part of our sins. We are each responsible for ourselves. In Surah 29 verse 12 it reads, Those who disbelieve said to those who believe, If you follow our way, we will be responsible for your sins. Not true, they cannot bear any of their sins. They are liars. In the following verse, in Surah 17, verse 13 through 15, we read, We have recorded the fate of every human being. It is tied to his neck. On the day of resurrection, we will hand him a record that is accessible. Read your own record. Today you suffice as your own reckoner. Whoever is guided is guided for his own good, and whoever goes astray does so to his own detriment. No sinner will bear the sins of anyone else. We never punish without first sending a messenger. God is affirming to us that we are each responsible for ourselves. To think that any individual's actions can bear the sins for us that absolves us of responsibility is pure wishful thinking. In Surah 9 verse 80 it reads, Whether you ask forgiveness for them or do not ask forgiveness for them, even if you ask forgiveness for them 70 times, God will not forgive them. This is because they have disbelieved in God and His Messenger. God does not guide the wicked people. So God willing, in summary, what happened to Jesus? God took His soul, brought it to paradise. To say that He's dead is to misunderstand God's system, that the righteous do not die. Those individuals who tortured and crucified an empty vessel were exposing the arrogance and the hatred they had in their hearts. But Jesus himself never experienced any of that because God saves the believers time and time again. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at crontalk at gmail.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.